Good morning. Happy Father's Day. We've been working our way passage by passage through the book of Genesis. And today, the next passage we come to is Genesis 30, 25 through 31, 55. So I'll be reading a selection of verses from that passage. It says, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I, had, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards, toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock... He would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to the kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters 
or for their children for whom they have been born. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Shane. Let's pray. Father, we understand from Hebrews chapter 4 that your word is living and active. So may it be living and active in our lives today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One assumption that people can sometimes make is that their lives will get easier if they become a Christian. They think that whatever problems they're facing will suddenly disappear and that everything will just be smooth sailing from that point onward. Yet, of course, those of us who have been Christians for any significant amount of time know that that's just not true. Of course, there's certainly a joy that's found in Jesus uh, that's unlike anything else in this world and that transcends whatever challenges we might be facing, but that doesn't mean life is always easy. This is why Jesus tells those who are thinking about becoming his disciples to first count the cost. In Luke 14, 28 through 30, he says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus is very direct when he tells people to first count the cost before they decide to devote their lives to him. He's basically putting a warning label on Christianity. The message is pretty clear. When you become a Christian, you're not signing up for an easy life. First of all, when you become a Christian, you're going to be swimming against the cultural current. The vast majority of the culture is going to be flowing this way, and you're going to be trying to swim that way. Not only that, but Satan will be trying his best to discourage you in your walk with God and ultimately derail everything God's been doing in your life. From day one of becoming a Christian, you're going to have a massive target on your back. And then, as if all of that weren't enough, the fact is that we sometimes just have difficult days as Christians. Our hearts sometimes grow cold. There may also be seasons when we struggle with depression and sometimes without even understanding why. We may even get to the point in certain situations where it feels like we're 
only hanging on by a single thread and are just not sure how much longer we can make it. Yet despite our weakness and frailty, God's always faithful to sustain us and to supply everything that's necessary for us to continue growing and even flourishing and becoming the people he wants us to be. And we see a picture of that here in Genesis 30 and 31. These chapters revolve around a man named Jacob. And back in Genesis 28, God had made Jacob a series of promises as Jacob was leaving the land of Canaan. Among other things, God had promised him in Genesis 28, 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And in our main passage, we see God fulfilling that promise. So our main idea is that God demonstrates faithfulness to Jacob by giving him both provision and protection. That's what we see happening, Genesis 30 and 31. God demonstrates faithfulness to Jacob by giving him both provision and protection. So first, we'll look at God's provision, and then at God's protection. In Genesis 30, 25 through 43, God provides for Jacob in a big way. He doesn't just provide the bare minimum for Jacob and and for his family to eke out a living. He provides abundantly. You may recall that Jacob was forced to leave his home in Canaan because his life was in danger. And he had left with virtually no material possessions at all. He describes in Genesis 32, 10, how he left with nothing but the staff in his hand. He then arrived at his uncle Laban's house, worked for Laban for seven years uh, so that he could marry, marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, was instead tricked into marrying Laban's other daughter, Leah, and therefore had to work an additional seven years so that um, he could marry Rachel as he initially wanted to do. And then that's where the story picks up in Genesis 30, 25 through 28. Look what it says. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. So Jacob's now been working for Laban for a total of 14 years and has been exploited by Laban in a significant way and really just wants to be done with Laban. I'm sure most of us have probably, from one time, uh, one time or another, had a boss who really wasn't a good boss and who didn't care about anything but their own personal advancement. And that's the kind of boss Laban was. And Jacob was just tired of it. However, when Jacob tells Laban that he wants to put in his two weeks notice, Laban tries to persuade him 
to stay. He says, name your wages and I will give it. We then read this in Genesis 30, 29 through 32. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages." Now, typically, both sheep and goats would only be one color. Sheep, of course, would be white, and goats could either be black or brown, but usually not more than one of those colors. However, there were a few sheep and goats that, instead of being one color, were spotted or speckled. And those are the ones Jacob requests for himself as his wages in order to continue working for Laban. Verse 34 then describes Laban's response. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So Laban thinks these are great terms. He believes he knows a deal when he sees one and therefore gladly takes Jacob up on his offer without even trying to negotiate. But just as we might have predicted, old Uncle Laban, being the sneaky con artist that he 